Well, Sylvie Slav, one of the films in this year's Sundance U.S. Dramatic Competition in the studio, I have the director and screenwriter of the film, Eugene Nash. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You know, you wrote a, a beautiful description of the film in the, the press notes that I saw. Can you kind of give us the Reader's Digest version of that? Well, I mean, it's a love story set in between 1957 and 1962. Um, Robert and Sylvie fall in love when he takes a job at her dad's record store over a summer, and then they sort of fall in and out of each other's lives, but not in and out of love. Yeah, so why this, why this time? I mean, what, what, what was it important for you to showcase there in the what, late 50s, you were saying? Yeah, 60s? I mean, I was very, my, my parents were married in 1959, and just, I was very inspired by the nostalgia that I feel from looking at um, family photos from that time, but I'm also a big fan of the old Delbert Mann movies, and the Doris Day movies, and, and movies like Breakfast at Tiffany's, and they were never really populated by people of color, so I always thought that that would be an interesting kind of way to go. There's a, there's a film called Paris Blues. Um, it was based on a novel by Harold Flinder, um, and in the novel, the two lead characters are African-American, um, but in the movie, they sort of hedged their bets and, and created these other two characters, Paul Newman and, and Joanne Woodward, and then made the story of the African-Americans the B story with Sidney Poitier and, and um, Diane Carroll. And so they kind of pushed it to the back and I always wanted to see the actual movie made. So while this isn't, it's inspired by that idea. All right, um, and I, I read that you are a former recording artist. So. I am. I was a, I was an artist on Sony. I was in a band called Funky Poets, really kind of live R and B band. Um, and that certainly it, it's funny because my love of jazz kind of came out of that. I couldn't listen to contemporary music because it informed what I was doing. I would just analyze the bass line or analyze the music and how the you know what I could take from it for my own music. And I started listening to jazz because it was like a nice place for me to, it didn't inform what I was doing musically. And I could just listen to it and it could wash over me and then just fell in love with it. So your lead actor's background is not music, it's football. How did that transition work? Uh, with, well, with Namdi, Namdi, he, he's, he's been in a couple of movies. He was in Crown Heights mm -hmm. uh, that won the audience award. He was here. excellent in that Yeah, wasn't film. he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's really a terrific actor. He, rem he reminds me of, Jimmy Stewart <laughs> or Cary Grant. He just has this way about him. He's, he's very genuine. He is. He's very genuine. He's also very tall and handsome. <laughs> <laughs> that helps too. Yeah, it does. Especially for, you know, I was really going for that kind of 1960s matinee idol like a Cary Grant or Rock Hudson. And, and uh, he was just, he stood out as someone who had that sort of presence. Um, I think his transition into, he started out as a producer. He's produced a a ton of movies. I don't know if you've seen Harriet, which is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Cynthia Rebo's nominated mm -hmm. for an Oscar this year. And he has The Banker coming out with um, uh, Sam Jackson and Anthony Mackie. So he's, his company, I Am 21, is a producer on the film. Um, but that was sort of his way in. He's also married to the actress, Kerry Washington. So he's, mm -hmm. he's been around it, uh, but he's very, very talented. He's, he, the work ethic he gets from, from uh, sports, I think, is, you know, he uses that. In you his, have to be in his dedicated acting. when you reach that without level. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. 
Yeah, so um, I kind of talked a little bit about your background in music, so that, that the music in this then is pretty important part of the, the film, not having seen it? Yes. Um, there's kind of three components to it. There's the Dickie Brewster Quartet, who are, it's, a court, it's a quartet that the lead character, Robert, is a member of, and they've come to New York to try to become famous. Um, and so they're the original tunes that they do, uh, written by our composer, Fabrice Lecomte, and then we sort of put together a super group of, of really cool jazz people, Ben Porowski on drums, and uh, Mark Turner is the lead tenor on it. And so we did that music, and that's, so there's that kind of like hard bop, bop jazz going on, and then there's the sweeping um, score that we did with a 65-piece orchestra um, that really just kind of also anchors you in the time. It feels like the kind of score. That must from give that a real richness just to the It really film does. Itself. Just li using live instruments and using a live orchestra like that. We recorded it at the Barbra Streisand soundstage where they did La La Land and even mm -hmm. The Wizard of Oz a long mm -hmm. time ago. Um, but and then the third component are, are the needle drops, as we call them. Uh, so all the Motown stuff and doo-wop stuff from that era you know, really kind of, I think, root you in the period and ground you in it. When you mentioned New York City as a setting, but I read that for whatever reason or reasons you weren't able to do much or any of the shooting in New York, was that an advantage or disadvantage? How did that turn out? Well, you know, it's, it was, we shot it entirely in Los Angeles on back lots. And it was really a blessing because of the fact that we couldn't shoot in New York. We had to lean into the kind of big Hollywood you know, it Paramount it seems to fit like it, it was meant to be. Kind it does. Of. The minute you step onto those backlots, you just get the sense of the history of all of the films that were shot there. And you can't help but make a movie like this. And so it was really a natural fit for us. So that's where they store all of those old cars and stuff, huh? <laughs> I mean, I always <laughs> yeah. wonder about that. Their cars aren't available, but they're on back lots then somewhere. They do have some. We, yeah. we of course, had had to get someone to, to bring some in yeah. as well and you want to have a bunch of different ones so you have to you know you can't have the same, same three car. cars exactly yeah. so what's the response been then from the audience I, I have a friend who saw it and just loved it yeah it's been really fantastic I, I um it, my way into to art is always trying to start with making something that doesn't exist that I'd like to see exist in the world and you just sort of hope that other people want want to see the same thing and that you find like-minded people. Um, well, so not yes. just that. There's so much turmoil and so much negativity. It sounds like this is a story that would make any viewer feel good. I mean, I, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think at the same time, you know, hopefully people can abandon the cynicism of today. It's almost exactly. like to believe in love again is a, it's kind of a... It's a revolutionary concept, believe it or not. People, a lot of people are just like, oh, man, that's not realistic. <laughs> and it's, you know, it can be if you, if you allow it to be. So at this point, any, any bites from, from getting a release? Or? Um, no, I mean, we're, we're just working all of that stuff out right now. You know, we certainly have people who are interested in, in seeing it come to theaters or, or, and get distributed, but we do not have distribution for it, and we're hoping to, because we'd like to share it with the world. 
I wanted to ask you too, having not seen and how so many classic older movies have, you know, a line that just sticks with everybody or a quote. Is there anything from your movie that stands out as what might be a classic line or a memorable quote or philosophy, anything like that? Yeah, well, one kind of recurring um, one. There are a couple of of lines like that, but one recurring one comes from a song, actually, because uh, Robert catches Sylvie dancing to the song See You Late Alligator, <laughs> and that sort of becomes their, whenever they, because they enter and leave each other's lives, whenever they they leave each other, there's always a kind of a, you know, see, see you later. later alligator, and sometimes it's very, very sad, and sometimes it's very hopeful. <laughs> that's, that's great right there. Well, there's a couple of more screens uh, today, 8.30 at the uh, Mark, 3 o'clock tomorrow at the library, and then 3.15 Saturday. Uh, and in Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City, City that's right. Yeah, the great theater down there, the Grand Theater there on State Street. And well, maybe some of the award winners will have to watch. Mm -hmm. See? Well, I'll be at all of those screenings uh, doing a Q&A if anyone has any questions for me. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much. Thank um, you for having for me. For spending some time with us. Tune in and find out about some of the unknown and talented independent filmmakers from around the world. Join us for the Sundance Reel each weekday morning between 9 and 10. We'll highlight some of the most intriguing films being presented at this year's Sundance Film Festival. That's the Sundance Reel weekday mornings from 9 to 10 through January 31st right here on KPCW or online kpcw.org. The Sundance Reel is brought to you in part by Sundance Institute, presenting the 2020 Sundance Film Festival from January 23rd through February 2nd. And Acura, proud 10-year sponsor of the festival and supporter of independent film and music. Learn more at acura.com.